My name is Brian Bradley. Uh, I'm one of the pastors uh, that uh, volunteer here at the church. And um, some pretty big things happened uh, this past week for me. So uh, baby Lily here was born uh, just a week ago. Thank you. Shh, shh, she's sleeping. She's sleeping. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> the music doesn't wake her. She's good. Um, no, so we, we have a three-and-a-half-year-old, and we have a one-and-a-half-year-old, and now Lily, who, like I say, was born just a week ago, so that means I haven't slept in, uh, since 2011, so, uh, but that's all right. I'm doing fine. Uh, I'm going to hand her off, and, and we'll go ahead and get going. There you go. Awesome. We love kids. They are so much fun, so worth it. And uh, my wife's a trooper for being here uh, today. I mean, only a week after giving birth, so I have no idea how she does that. But uh, I'm glad that she does. She's, uh, she's a cute little kid to hang out with. Um, grab a Bible, uh, if, if you got yours, and, and open it up to Mark. We've been going through this series in Mark, uh, kind of cruising through at a pretty fast pace, all right, covering big chunks of Scripture and and not touching on every single detail like maybe we normally do, uh, but trying to get more of an overview of the whole book and kind of the, the whole thrust of what Mark is trying to communicate in this book. And uh, we've been calling this series The Greatest of All Time and looking at all these different aspects of Jesus and how he is the greatest this and the greatest that, um, just all around the, the, the greatest. And uh, so this morning what I want to look at is the greatest confession, the greatest confession, uh, which I think is really unique. This, this passage that we're going to read, which is in chapter 9 of Mark, is something that has been sticking out to me for weeks and weeks, probably uh, several months. One verse in particular, which we'll get to, which has just struck me as, as so fascinating uh, and, and has struck me differently now than, than it ever has before. And so I'm excited to get into this. Um, I, I'm excited to, you know, I've been excited to study it. Now I'm excited to communicate it because th this verse, I think, is, is so profound and, and shows us something so unique. But to set the scene, first of all, I, I want to just kind of uh, look at what's happening in Mark chapter 9. Several incredible things happen in Mark chapter 9. Uh, and, and, right, Mark is this book of action. It's just like one incredible thing after another after another. Uh, and it moves so quickly. And uh, one of these incredible things that happens, which I, I don't have time to focus on uh, too much this morning, is the, the transfiguration. So Jesus takes Peter, James, and John. They go up on this hill. And, and Jesus is shown in glory and Moses and Elijah show up in glory. And if you can imagine being one of these three disciples, just, just on your knees and looking at this incredible scene, these prophets that you've heard about all through your life growing up, that generation after generation after generation has talked about and looked at these men as heroes and examples. And here they are with Jesus talking. It's this incredible scene. It's, it's so amazing that Jesus shows this to these disciples. Uh, and then afterwards, he tells them, 
don't tell anyone until after I am raised from the dead. Uh, because this, this is like a big deal. This is something to strengthen their, their faith and to show them something of who Jesus is. And uh, I think this is so, so interesting. This, one of my favorite parts about Scripture is, is just how real it is. Um, so in chapter 9, verse 5, they're seeing this scene, right? And Peter, who's known for putting his foot in his mouth sometimes, uh, he acts sometimes before he thinks, which is why I love Peter, because I'm like Peter. Uh, and, and Peter says, in verse 5, Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good that we're here. Uh, like, thank goodness we're here for this. Uh, because, he's, he goes on to say, uh, it's good that we're here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And Mark adds his commentary, which I love. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. He's basically saying, I know this is stupid. He didn't know what to say. Just Peter's mouth started moving, and words came out, and these are those words. He had no idea what to say. Uh, John and James are just in awe. They say nothing, apparently. They, they are just struck with silence, which I think is probably the most appropriate response. But, I mean, if you're going to talk to these, like, heroes of the faith, these incredible guys, they're, I mean, you know, they've been dead for a thousand years. And what he says is, should we go camping? <laughs> Should we do this? Like, I'll get some stick. We'll do some s'mores, a bit of a little fire. This is going to be incredible. Uh, you know, maybe like Moses, what was it like to be in the desert wandering for 40 years? Or Elijah, to be taken up, not to die, but just be taken up directly to heaven. Was that like a tornado or what? Like what? But no, he says, uh, it's good. Thank goodness we're here because I can build you some tents. So that I, I just think is, is funny. And then this happens, they come down off the mountain, and you can just imagine the high that these guys have, just this incredible thing they experience. They come down, and then they encounter this scene, which is what I want to focus on today. This is uh, starting in verse 14 of chapter 9. Mark records this. He says, and when they came to the disciples, this is coming off the mountain, when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? So the scene is, these three disciples and Jesus are coming down off the hill. And now you have the rest of the disciples and this big crowd and the scribes, which are, you know, these religious elite. And there's this argument going on. There's, there's kind of this chaos. It's a little bit confusing What's happening? And, and Jesus asked the scribes, what are you arguing about with them? You can see maybe some frustration uh, because Jesus is gone for a couple of days. And so it, it almost seems like they're taking advantage of the, um, you know, younger, inexperienced disciples. Like, oh, now's our chance to really get them caught up. They, they don't know how to answer like Jesus does. And so there's, there's uh, maybe this frustration that Jesus is calling out. But before the scribes even answer, or maybe there was a long pause, uh, they didn't have the guts to answer. We don't know exactly how this plays out. Verse 17, and someone from the crowd answered him. You can just imagine this guy in this chaos of crowd, these religious elites, the disciples, all this stuff going on. And somewhere in the crowd, this man stands up and he says, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. 
and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. Uh, the symptoms here are describing like an epileptic seizure, uh, as, as we would know it. And quite possibly this demon is using this. We do know here in a minute that there is a demon involved. Uh, a demon is using this as a front or, or using this to uh, affect this boy. Uh, pretty crazy scene. Jesus responds and says, Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. Verse 20, And they brought the boy to him. And when the Spirit saw him, that's when the Spirit saw Jesus, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. Can you imagine this? For the father, his precious child, his son, uh, having to deal with these seizures and foaming at the mouth, he can't hear, he can't speak, he must be scared and confused. How heartbreaking for this father. I, I can't imagine, uh, you know, having to deal with something like this with one of my kids. Just imagine the father's anguish. And Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. So maybe he's, the son's adding some wood to the fire and he goes into the seizure and falls into the fire. He would be covered in, in burn scars and it's thrown him into water to attempt to drown this boy. Man, this father must be on high alert all the time, watching after his boy. It's been happening since childhood. And then uh, the second half of verse 22. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. We don't know. Maybe he is dead. Uh, maybe he was simply unconscious, but it, he certainly had the appearance of, of being dead. Verse 27, Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he entered the house, his disciples asked him privately. So now here's a side conversation. The disciples say, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. So here's the scene right? Or, or th this is the scene. You have this father worried, concerned about his boy. You have this boy who's possessed by this demon that's uh, done things to affect and, and even try to kill this boy. Th this father is in desperation. He desperately wants to see his boy healed. And he comes to the disciples while Jesus is away, and he says, heal my boy, and they're not able to. And this argument erupts between the scribes and the, and the disciples. You can almost hear it. See, you guys are frauds. Your leader's a fraud. This is nothing. You can't. You have no power. And Jesus shows up. How disheartened would the father be at this point? He, he came. He heard of these miracles being uh, performed. 
but not for his boy. Maybe his situation is too difficult, maybe too violent. He doesn't know why, but, but hope has got to be slipping away. And in, in one last effort, he, he talks to Jesus directly. He says, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus says, if you can, all things are possible to the one who believes. And this man replies, he cries out, I believe, help my unbelief. And that's that verse that has been sticking out to me for a couple of months now. That I believe, help my unbelief. So as we really dig into that, I see three aspects here of, of this man coming to Jesus. Uh, three aspects that, that lead up to this, this cry. Uh, and, and one is that he's asking the right question. And he's directing this question to the right person. And he has the right heart. That's what we see in this. So the right question he says, if you can, which is spoken as a, as a statement, as a plea, but we see the question in this, can you? Can you help my boy? Can you heal him? Can you fix him? It's a valid question because the disciples weren't able to, right? It's valid to say, are, are you able? Can you do this? We would ask the doctor, can you fix this? Right? If, if there's something wrong, you're sick or you're dealing with something, can you fix this, doctor? Can you help? That's a common question. We want to know, is this person able to do anything? That's a good place to start. We ask the mechanic, can you fix it? How much is that going to cost? Can, can you fix this thing? I don't know. There's this knocking noise. I don't know. Uh, we ask the contractor, can you build this in this place? It would be absurd to go to your dentist and say, okay, listen up. I want the foundation right over here. And then I want walls like this. I want a roof, some windows, some doors, okay? Three bedrooms, two baths. That's, that's what I want right there. And you go away and you come back. And you go, well, that doesn't look like a house. It looks like a pair of dentures. He goes, well, I'm a dentist. That's what I do. <laughs> we, you didn't ask the question, can you build a house? Because he would have said, no. It's the wrong person. Uh, and so it's good to ask this question, if you can. I think sometimes we don't ask. We don't ask this question when it's really important. We don't ask of our career, will you satisfy me? We, we don't ask of our addiction, will you make the pain go away? Will you make this not hurt anymore? We don't ask the question, maybe because we know what the answer will be and we don't like it. Maybe because we're afraid of the answer. Maybe we just simply didn't take the time to stop and think to ask the question. We expect that these things will do this for us. But if we don't stop and ask the question, are you made to satisfy me? Are you made to complete me? It just seems silly that we're not asking that question. So he comes and he asks the right question. Can you do this? Can you heal? Can you save my boy? 
It's the right question. And he asks it of the right person. So sometimes we do ask the right question, but we ask it of the wrong person. I, uh, I was on the, um, uh, well, I, I received a call one time uh, from a gal who worked for a, uh, for a religion. Uh, and, and I'm not going to go into specifics or anything because it doesn't matter. But, but she's calling from a call center in Utah. Uh, okay. <laughs> That's it. Uh, they, they, they have the Bible, but they have some other books, uh, and they have some sweet backpacks to put those books in. So, uh, but anyway, so, so this, this gal called and, and said, uh, you know, started asking me if, if I, you know, believe in, you know, whatever they believe in and started asking these questions. And I thought, well, this is kind of fun. And so I started asking her some questions, uh, and, and really got into some good conversation. And uh, we ended up, she ended up calling me the same time every Sunday for weeks. Uh, and I think she was truly intrigued at some of the questions I was asking. And, and she ended up getting some of her girlfriends together, and they were doing like a conference call, uh, trying to answer my questions. And, and, and I'm, you know, kind of responding to some of theirs. Um, it, it was kind of an interesting little, little thing. And, and I would ask her some questions, you know, like, what do you believe about the Bible? Like, well, the... The Bible's true, but, but so is this other book. And I go, okay, what about when they disagree? Well, we, we trust uh, our, our elders, and we, we trust the, uh, the teachers. And I go, but, but if they disagree, or, or if your teachers disagree with this book, what, what do you do? Well, we just, we just trust the teachers, and if we don't, we just assume maybe we don't understand it's really interesting, and one of the things is that they, they only ever work out of the, uh, the old King James Bible, which was translated over 400 years ago. And so I was asking her, I said, you know, sometimes if you don't understand, maybe it's because you're, you're reading words and, and, you know, sentence structure that we haven't used in several hundred years. You know, you want to pick up a, a modern translation, something that maybe is just a little bit easier to read. And they go, no, 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 we, we can't trust that. We can't trust the Scriptures our teachers say that, that the, the only uh, trustworthy translation is this one that we can't understand very well. And I'm going, this just, it, it sounds off, okay? That's an example of asking the right questions, but asking them of the wrong person. What the Father does here is he goes and he asks the disciples, and they're not able to help. And then the scribes we see are arguing, and so maybe he didn't ask them, but they're offering their opinion, certainly, uh, and, and they're the wrong person too. So the father says, I've got to get directly to Jesus. I've got to ask him directly. He seems like the right person. This is what the girl on the phone missed. I kept trying to tell her, you've you got to go to the source. You've got to ask Jesus, not what other people think about him, but what he says about himself. Start there. That's a good place to ask those questions. We want to ask of the, of the right source. Jesus is trustworthy. He backs his claims. He makes these fantastic claims, and then we see that he backs them up. Right? It's like going to hire a contractor, and you check maybe with the Better Business Bureau. Are there complaints about him? Or does this guy do what he actually says he's going to do? It's a good idea to check someone out like that. Jesus is trustworthy. He's able. Right? The Father says, if you can. Jesus responds, if I can. I mean, that's, 
That's really not the issue. The father doesn't know that yet, right? But he is certainly able and he is willing. Jesus is not too busy. He's not too busy to help uh, and, and to, um, you know, care for even, you know, this boy, this guy that, you know, who, who knows who he is. Jesus is willing. So he asks the right question. He goes to the right person and he has the right heart. And this is where we get to that verse. I believe, help my unbelief. The right heart is honest. It doesn't masquerade like it, uh, like it has no problem. So when I started studying for, for this sermon in particular, sometimes I just love to Google the verse and just kind of see what pops up, see what people are saying about it and, and kind of get an idea. And, uh, and I came across this blog. I hate blogs. I came across this blog. And if you write a blog, I'm sure it's great. I would love it, but I just don't read blogs. Um, <laughs> so anyway, I'm, I'm reading this blog, and, and this guy, this is when I was like, okay, I, I have to preach on this. this is, so he's, he's talking about this verse, and, and I'll just read a couple of highlights. Uh, he says, I do believe, help my unbelief, this is a clear example, it seems to me, of commitment with mental reservation. This is a far cry from the centurion's just say a word from Matthew 8.8. 8. We can't say that there's no faith at all because he did come for help. He goes on to say, uh, this gives us an example, a negative example of what we should do. He says, a little doubt can destroy everything. And then he goes on to say, Jesus did heal the young man, but not because of the unreserved uh, or this, you know, some unreserved faith by the father. He says, Jesus healed the boy only because a crowd was gathering. He says he healed the boy because there were people around, and so now it was an issue of, of Jesus' majesty, not of this guy with no faith. That breaks my heart to hear that. So if you cry out, if you are wrestling and struggling with your faith and you cry out, you better hope there's a crowd around so that Jesus will actually do something? That's wrong. That's so wrong. He said that because there was a crowd that made it acceptable for Jesus to heal the boy. This is insane. Regardless of the father's inability to give himself completely to Christ. And then he finishes by saying, we can certainly learn from his lack of faith and make a personal commitment not to test our Lord in ways like this, choosing instead ever to demonstrate a strong and uncompromised faith that trusts in him without any reservations. But what about when you do have reservations? What about when you are struggling? From what I can gather from this guy's blog, you should just hide it? Just white-knuckle this thing and just say, I do believe, I do believe. It seems crazy to me. That's not what God wants. He wants an honest heart. This is not a bad example. This is not a negative example. This is a wonderful example of a guy who's honest and he comes to Jesus with the right questions, asking the right person. He just says, I believe, but man, I have a lot of unbelief. Jesus, help me with this. I'm not capable of believing like I need to believe. This is an incredible example. It's honest. And it's humble because there's no room to boast. 
when not only the salvation is a gift, but even the faith to receive the salvation is a gift. What's left to boast about? I bring nothing to the table. But it's Jesus moving in the first place, and it's Jesus who accomplished salvation on the cross, and it's Jesus who keeps me here. I bring nothing to the table, and I just worship God because he does it all. It's humble, and it's real. God does not want the polished you. He wants the real you. He wants the real thing. So we learn to lie to one another, right? In life, as adults, we learn to lie uh, because we protect one another in doing this. Uh, guys, you ever, you ever get the question, do these pants make me look fat? Right? There's one way to answer that. It doesn't matter if it's true or not. There's one way to answer, do these pants make me look fat? And it's, of course not. Of course. Of course not. These pants do not make you look fat. Uh, men, if you're married or engaged or, or dating or anything, I mean, you ever hear this question? Do you remember what today is? You've been there. Your heart drops, doesn't it? It's like, oh. And you start going through this Rolodex of dates in your head. It's like, okay, birthday, no. Kids' birthdays, uh, Valentine's Day, what month is it? Oh, my goodness. And it's like, you're just you're running through this. Anniversary. It's got to be the anniversary. 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 And she goes, no, you have that doctor's appointment. Like, ah. Dang it. Trick question. But then I, I get to pay it back because then we go home and I'm like, what do you think of my sermon? She's like, it was, yeah, that was good. <laughs> Which part? Which part? Were you listening? <clears throat> but, you know, sometimes it, it's more serious questions. I mean, maybe we hurt somebody and we say, did, did, I, did I hurt you? Did I offend you when I said that? And we want to protect the person. It's like, man, I, we don't need to get it. No, it, it's fine. It's no big deal. It's fine. I'm fine. Right? And we're lying to cover it up instead of dealing with it. Uh, or, or, or the question, how are you doing? And maybe you're not doing okay. But what do you say? You say, I, I'm good. I'm, I'm fine. They don't need to deal with all my crud. They don't want to hear this. They don't want to hear what I've been going through. So we learn to lie, to protect one another. Right? Or so we think. And so then we project that on our relationship with God. We lie to protect one another, and then we lie to God. Maybe God asks, do you believe? We say, yeah, of course. Are you struggling? No. No, I'm not struggling with this. Do you trust me? God might ask, we go, of course. Of course I do. But God doesn't need to be protected. Right? We don't need to worry too much about God's feelings for a couple of reasons. For, for one, he's not buying it. He knows your heart. He knows my heart. And when I say, I'm, I'm fine, I, I believe, I, I'm good. If that's not true, God knows that's not true. He's not buying that. And, and secondly, he's a strong God. He can take the hits. He can take the pressure. You say, I, I do, I, I believe, I, I kind of believe but I've got a lot of unbelief. God, I feel like my unbelief is swallowing up my belief. Help. God's a strong God. He can take that. And he's a real God. 
He stands up to scrutiny. If this was all nonsense, first of all, we'd be wasting our time. But if it were all nonsense, we might say, don't, don't, shh, don't question. Don't, don't ask those questions. Just, just trust the elders. Just go with it. Don't stop, stop investigating that. Stop looking. You're, that's just going to stir up trouble. But he's a real God and he stands up to scrutiny. We can investigate, we can ask, we can question, we can wrestle with it. And because he's a real God, we'll just come to a better and closer understanding. We'll come to love him more and understand his love for us more. He's a real God. This idea of being real, of being honest with our shortcomings, with our failings, this is consistent throughout Scripture. Psalm 42, I think, is a clear example. In, in, you don't need to turn there, but uh, basically in, in verse 1, he says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. That's like, I believe. Right? And then you get to verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? That's like, help my unbelief. Right? And Psalm 42 goes back and forth like this. He's remembering the incredible things God has done, and he's saying, why, soul, are you so cast down? Why don't you believe? We've seen God do incredible things. And he goes back to this side, and then he says, but I'm still in turmoil here. And it's back and forth. It's just honest. It's real. God allowed that to be put in the Bible. We're not supposed to hide from this. So what do we, what do we take away? Well, I, I'd ask, do you feel like you don't have enough faith? Do you feel like you have no faith at all sometimes? Do you doubt? Do you question? Do you wrestle? Do you weep? Do you worry? First of all, you're in good company. People throughout the scriptures have wrestled with the same thing. And God is good. He is good to restore. He is good to answer that. He is good to give us more faith. Secondly, it doesn't mean that you're not saved. It doesn't mean that you're not a Christian. In fact, it might actually be a sign that you are. It might be a sign that you are saved, that you are a Christian. Real faith, I think, reveals our real lack of faith. Okay, you tracking with me on this? I didn't know I had a faith problem until I started to believe. When I started to believe, uh, and I, I go, okay, Jesus, I believe. And then I go, man, I've got a lot of unbelief. <laughs> like it's just revealed to me. And the more I believe, the more I realize just how much I don't believe. Right, like with our sin, we, we don't even realize how big of sinners we are until we start repenting and we start turning to God. And then we go, oh my gosh, there was more down deep buried in my heart than I ever even realized. God kind of opens up more and more as we get into this thing. And lastly, I would say don't, don't run from that feeling of unbelief, that wrestling, that struggling. You don't have to run from that. You can press into it 
And I'll, I'll explain what I mean. If, if somebody gives you a map with directions to this destination that you want to get, you wouldn't say, well, I don't know where this map came from. I don't know if this map is trustworthy. So I'm going to try every other street possible. And if none of them lead to where I want to go, then I'll know the map is trustworthy and I can take the map. It would take a long time to get where you're going, right? Wouldn't it make more sense to follow the map and see if it truly leads where it says it leads? That would be much more direct, right? I, I have a friend uh, that did this, a, a good friend of mine that, that I grew up with. And, uh, and, man, he was having doubts. He was wrestling with this. Um, and, and he just wasn't sure about his faith and all of this. And he told me, uh, in, and I'm paraphrasing, but he basically said, uh, I, I don't know about this whole thing, so I'm going to exhaust every other avenue. I'm going to go dive into every other sin, and I'm going to see if those lead to happiness. And if they don't, then I'll know Jesus is real, and I'll come back. And my friend is still wandering. He may spend the rest of his life wandering because sin, uh, it's, it's not one small thing. I mean, you can spend your whole life chasing that. He's, he's going down every other road rather than following the map. My friend may spend his whole life asking the wrong questions of the wrong people with the wrong heart. It grieves me. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this passage, just for this, this contrast here in chapter 9 of, of this incredible uh, faith-boosting moment on the mountain where you show yourself in glory and then down on the streets where there's a, a real man really struggling with faith. God, and how you respond to him, how you answer him. You don't rebuke him for his unbelief, but you grant his wish. You give him more belief. You build up his faith. And more than that, in this case, you healed his son. God, this is incredible. We're so grateful for what you do, God, that, that you not only died for our sins on the cross, Jesus, you you paid the penalty for our sins in our place, but more than that, God, you're patient with us as we wrestle and struggle with faith. You're patient with us and you're kind and, and you pour your grace out over and over and over again. You're okay with us being real and honest and open. You want to hear from us and you want to respond to us. Thank you so much. Pray in Jesus' name.